HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network. This is our coverage of the Slow Food Nations 2018 Festival. My name is Kat Johnson. And before we get started with our next guest, I wanted to quickly thank our sponsors for making our coverage of the festival possible. Hearst Ranch Beef, the Julia Child Foundation, and Julie Schaefer. Um, right now, I'm super excited to be joined by Chef Massimo Batura. He is um, the three Michelin starred chef of Osteria Francescana. And he's here doing many, many events this weekend. I think they have a full schedule for you, Massimo. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So, Massimo, um, can you just start off by telling us kind of what you're involved with this weekend at the festival? I'm sorry? Um, what are the events you're doing this weekend at the festival? Um, you know, I'm uh, here, there, and everywhere, you know. <laughs> I'm uh, with the booth at the, the Medici with my balsamic vinegar. I just finished signing the books on Bread is Gold. And uh, this afternoon I will be at the talk for Wasted, like the movie that Anthony Bourdain did. And, and tonight uh, at the dinner, the, the, the chefs, they're going to set up with uh, impact, zero food waste and things, you know. So a lot of the events you're doing center around food waste because that's one of the projects you're most working with. It's part of that, you know. My major job is like uh, have Osteria Francescana that runs very well because I always say that without Osteria Francescana I could never do what we do everywhere. In Osteria Francescana is a Osteria Francescana is a laboratory of ideas, you know, it's, a, it's where we create culture, it's where we serve, uh, you know, uh, emotions. And uh, every day we have to feed uh, 60 meals at lunch and 60 meals of dinner, but also we have to feed six, uh, 30 guests at lunch and dinner. So they're like uh, almost double, you know. The, f- the food that we have to serve at, the, at our, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, refettorio, no? I call refettorio because it's like, it's a staff meal, mm-hmm. but the refettorio has a family, no, a meal. And uh, so we, we are very carefully, we are very careful on not waste anything. And uh, what we do, we learn uh, how to imagine, you know, 
uh, recipes with all the scraps and the things that is left over from, uh, from the food that we prepare for our guests. And it's a very important, uh, you know, creative um, process for the, for the people that are going to cook stuff meal. Mm. So that's how we start this whole reflection about waste zero, uh, you know, and imagine, uh, you know, an uh, overripe tomato, some, you know, broiled zucchini or breadcrumbs that always is left in the, in the restaurant. There's a lot of bread that is left in the restaurant. What you can do with that, you know? So that's uh, how we, we imagine the future, mm. you know? So at the end of this festival tonight, there's a dinner where all the food waste that, that would have been food waste is going to go... But I have to say something. Yes. You know, I think uh, we have to stop to call it food waste. But I just have to... I want to imagine that it's just an ordinary ingredient, you know? If you have, uh, if you have an overripe tomato, you, you're going to use it as a, as a sauce, you know, for, for some pasta maybe. Mm. But if you have a normal tomato, like very ripe or green, you know, you're going to use it in a salad. Uh, if you have a small tomato and cherry tomato, you're going to use it in a different preparation. So it depends what you have in your mind. For Mexicans, a brown banana is, uh, is the moment in which you're going to use the banana. For uh, European and Western world, uh, you, you eat banana when it's yellow. So it's like, it's just a, a way of, different perspective of what you how you see the, the and how you look at the food you know how do you think we should start to talk about it in a different way if we want to get away from the conversation being about waste I think uh, I think uh, first of all we have to buy different you know we have to dedicate uh, half an hour every couple of days to ourselves to our family to shop to shop uh, seasonal uh, food and you're going to spend less and you're going to eat better. And you're going to buy not like for one month. So you're going to storage in a freezer and, uh, you know, you have tons of food, uh, you know. And, uh, but you have to buy the right amount for a couple of days, you know, and you're going to cook. Uh, that food, uh, you know, um, that m maybe the cheesemaker, maybe the the bakery they suggested to buy, you know, maybe the the farmers or you know they suggest that kind of corn or that tomato or that uh, you know zucchini uh, or that cut of meat or that fish that mm. is sustainable. A sardine is, is much better than uh, a farm-raised lobster or, you know, some Parmigiano-Reggiano crust is better than, uh, you know, some mediocre caviar. So that's the point of view, you know. You, we need knowledge. We need uh, the chefs that they're going to tell you. And that's why bread is gold. Or that's why we did the book. The chefs, they're going to they're gonna make visible the invisible, you know. So make visible the invisible. That's a big part of your organization um, exactly. for soul. Can exactly. you explain what that means? That means, uh, you know, for us it's normal, you know, to have, uh, you know, we have knowledge, we have uh, creativity, we, have, we are into this kind of process of using uh, and, uh, and ask questions to the ingredients, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and we can uh, really give you suggestion of what to do with uh, 
three days old bread or with some uh, you know brown bananas you know in the in the bread is gold uh, uh, you can see these um, uh, Brazilians chefs they're using banana peels and they make chutney uh, and they there, you can use that chutney with banana peels uh, to serve uh, some cheese, close to the cheese. Or uh, we made pesto, for example, like for pasta, but we didn't have any pine nuts, and we used bread crumbs instead of pine nuts. And the pesto came out creamy and light and beautiful and, uh, you know, much more interesting than tradition. So uh, we create also tradition in evolution. Uh, I remember Daniel Hamm, in, uh, from 11 Madison Park, uh, you know, he had, he had uh, some zucchini and in, uh, in his idea, some brewed zucchini, you know, he sliced zucchini as uh, pasta and he made lasagna with zucchini, you know, grilled zucchini. And it was fantastic. So that's what, what I mean for make visible the invisible. So you were just talking about changing the way we think about shopping for food being a really big deal in in kind of shifting the narrative around around food and, and what food waste is or isn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, do you, do you speak to chefs in your restaurants differently than you would um, a normal eater, differently about how to prevent food waste? No. I, the, 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 they know naturally that uh, I think like that, and uh, they know that we don't want any waste in our restaurant. And, uh, you know, there is a section in which we prepare, we, we have, um, you know, where, where the, <clears throat> the food and the ingredients arrives. They prepare, like, the line for the main kitchen and is where uh, all the stagiaires, the, 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 the commis, they are there and they are, like, preparing uh, for the staff meal. And, uh, you know, it's a normal process, it's a normal practice that we do every day, as my grandmother was doing in our, in our family, or my mom, you know. We were a big family, like we are in Osteria Francescana. Mm. And we are cooking exactly as uh, my grandmother was cooking for, for us. So. Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit more about Food for Soul. And you recently opened an, a new... Um, project within that right yeah in uh, in paris paris right we just opened paris uh, they gave us the crypt of the church of la madeleine that is insane you know <laughs> it was like i i couldn't believe it you know when they, they told me you know they're you know they want you to open in a crypt of the church and i said no it's impossible uh, you know but the crypt of the church or in place de la madeleine no no in the church you know, it's like, it's a dream, you know. And, uh, you know, JR, it, it, we brought uh, light to the crypt of the church. Can you imagine a crypt of the church, like there since centuries and centuries, and no one even walked into the crypt. And, you know, there were, it was full of dust and rats and, you know. And we clean everything, we restore everything. The artist did an amazing job and... Uh, we opened the 15th of March and uh, is more successful than ever, you know. They're like every night. Now the, the, the old board of La Madeleine, they're taking care of the church. They want us in the board. So now we are in the board of the church. So we are uh, interacting with uh, the priest and uh, the archbishop directly because they love the project. That's so interesting. So what's happening in that space? Who's eating there? 
You, in, uh, in Paris, are most of them are uh, refugees and uh, migrants. Mm. So they're like, uh, in Paris have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, they have, a, all, since ever, you know, they have a lot of uh, North of African people right. in there. And uh, especially in the last year, they've been invaded by, by these people. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of problems with that. So, uh, but th that to confront these kind of problems, you have to inc be inclusive. It's not you cannot segregate on a, on a, in a, in the periphery of Paris and uh, you know hide them from everything as they did in Brazil, you know in Brazil, when we arrive there, you know like to welcome people, there are so many slugs and you know people living on the street they they build walls to cover those slugs, you know and mm -hmm. it's like. What the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, you know, it's not the the way you have to act. You know, you have to include these people, and uh, they are part of our society. And you know, uh, I think is uh, in Paris. In Paris, we did something extremely important because it's an example. And uh, as an example, you know, the, the um, these people they start asking to be part of this project and they start, uh, you know, acting as they are part of this project, uh, helping us uh, to set up tables, uh, to be, to help in the kitchen. Uh, you know, it's like, it's very inclusive project, mm -hmm. you know. So a lot of your work does center around like hospitality, inclusion and things like that. And I was wondering, we were talking to Mitchell Davis yesterday yeah. about a lot of I mean, there are a lot of chefs in the U.S. falling on both sides of the argument on yeah. if someone comes into your restaurant that you don't yeah. agree with, yeah. how do you handle that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, uh, to me, actually, it never happened. So I don't know how, to, how I will act. So it's not, a, it's not a problem, you know. There's like, I have, uh, I'm open to, to persuasion. So mm. if, uh, if they have a better idea, please. Uh, tell me what what uh, what is the, your better idea, and maybe I can change my my mind. You know, mm. I'm always open. You know, I'm mm. not a, a closed person. You know, yeah. We always keep door open in which we can walk in and uh, and imagine a crazy project. You know, mm. we are like doing in September uh, with a group of mom and uh, you know a few grandmothers. We are like uh, Lara and my wife and, uh, and uh, Erica Fontana and other women, uh, you know, they're like, we are building a new kitchen with a laboratory for, you know, special kids. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna learn how to make tortellini and uh, they're going to sell uh, to the public and uh, they're going to be part uh, of the society making some money. So... Mm. It's, it's like this, you know, it's like I live in a place, uh, Emilia-Romagna, that is very social. You know, mm -hmm. we learn since uh, decades that uh, be together, we can, be, we can have a louder voice. So this is uh, something that uh, I believe. So On that note, I, I read an article in the Telegraph, I believe, recently, where you were quoted saying that women have I said have had so many things <laughs> that don't even... Uh, <laughs> well, it was, no, it was see. a great thing. It was that women have had like, such an, a positive impact on your life. 
Yeah, and I, uh, yeah. It's like if I think about my life, I think about first of all my grandmother. Mm -hmm. My grandmother convinced me to keep studying and not to play soccer. Mm -hmm. You know, I was uh, I was in front of uh, a double. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I I was like I was very I was good on playing soccer, and uh, you know I had to decide if I had to play as a professionist or keep studying mm -hmm. you know and uh, my grandmother convinced me to study uh, my mom was like the one who confront my father because I was studying as a low school and uh, I was uh, and uh, my mom uh, convinced my father that uh, it wasn't the right thing you know to do for me because I you know do you see me as a lawyer you know no you know <laughs> and uh, can I have some chocolate please Someone and, get Massimo so, more chocolate. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I think uh, this is a different one. Yeah. What is this? This one is from the Dominican Republic. Good, Dominican Republic. I love Dominican Republic. And, uh, you know, uh, she, said, she said, please let him do whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, if he's happy to, do, to be a chef, just let him do. And uh, he was, like, very unhappy and... Uh, He was confronting my mother, saying that she was spoiling me and uh, she was always on my side. And so maybe I kept keep going, I kept going, you know, and believing what I was doing just to show my father that my mom was right, mm. you know. And then I met Lara, my wife, that she made visible the invisible, you know, on contemporary art, you know. She's, she, I thought uh, contemporary art was over after Duchamp. But she said, please, just look at contemporary art and what the artist is saying, you know. On the wall, uh, there are ideas. And you can, you, can have the, you can really look deep into those, uh, those things and, uh, you know, and see the world in a different, uh, in a different way, in different perspective. Maybe a perspective of a child that look at the world from under the table. Picasso was saying, you know, uh, you know I was uh, 13 and I was drawing as Raffaello, but it took the whole life to paint like a child, you know? So that's the point, you know? When you see the world from a different perspective, maybe you can transfer emotion, maybe make it, make, making a mistake, mm -hmm. you know, as a... As a child, you know. Is there a parallel between this contemporary art and I'm food? I'm chewing the chocolate now. <laughs> Please. Yeah, is there, is there some parallel here between the contemporary art and, and food, the way that you cook food? Wait a second. It's chocolate break, guys. Very interesting. We're having a... Well, let's, what are your thoughts on the chocolate, Massimo? No, I have such an intense... Acidity in the back palate, mm. and uh, but the palate is very clean, so that means the chocolate is made very well. Oh, what? and the fermentation was extremely good. Whose chocolate is this, by the way? Puerto Rico. Amano, Amano chocolate. Shout out. That's very good. <laughs> so yes, there is. You know, I always thought that uh, uh, cooking is uh, is uh, I, we are artisans. Mm. The artist is an artist for one simple reason. Because the artist is free to do whatever he wants. An artisan like me, we have to cook good food. An engineer who builds Ferrari 
you know, they, are, they have to build fast cars. So that's the reason, you know. There is a word in Latin called artiere. Artiere is in the middle between artisan and artist. Is an artisan obsessed about the quality. So I think we are artieri. We are artisan, but we have the obsession about the quality. Quality of the ideas, quality of the product, quality of uh, the vision of life. So that's what we are, I think. You know? But sometimes, for some expression, we can really be uh, compared to artists. Because, uh, you know, in, uh, with my... Uh, uh, plate like my recipe oops I dropped the lemon tart uh, in which I express uh, the imperfection the imperfection rebuilt in a perfect way I think is very close to artists and inspire uh, Lisa Coley Gallery in New York mm -hmm. to open a group show uh, called uh, I dropped the lemon tart in which the artists they were interpret the imperfection so it's, it's a very thin line in which, you know, people think, oh, you are a genius. People think you are totally nuts, you know. <laughs> so that's the point. Um, I also wanted to ask you about an upcoming project in London where you'll be doing a guest chef um, pop-up. Uh, I'm learning from you now. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe you're hearing it here first. Uh, wait um, a second. Lara, <laughs> do we have a problem? Do we have a project? She's, she said no. Laura said no, so there's no Laura project. said no, so... <laughs> Fake news. Um, okay, so I want to... See, but what was the, the news? Let me, let me look it up. It was um, a pop-up in London. Conduit. Conduit. Um, you, to be the first guest chef at Merlin LeBron Johnson's all-new Conduit restaurant in Mayfair this September. September's far away, though. Good so. news. <laughs> Are they paying us? I don't know. Someone's yeah. going to have to check that. I hope so. Well, Massimo, let's talk about the Chef Leadership Summit that you were okay. at last night. Yeah. You were in a talk with Mitchell Davis. Yep. And was it Alon Shaya? What? The other chef that was talking with you Rick. Guys? Was Rick, Rick Bayless. Yeah. Um, how, how did that event go? What, what was the conversation? Was a good conversation. Yeah. It was very good. Any, any we, had, uh, we had very... We had, you know, it was, you know, with Mitchell is always, uh, you know, you can go everywhere, you know, because he's like, he's such a brilliant mind. They take, he takes you everywhere, you know, and, uh, but I think it was a good conversation because it was very open, very, you know, deep and, uh, but very informal, you know, it's not like, ooh, you know, you feel the pressure and, uh, you know, I'm like, we are very natural, you know, what we do. We arrive at being three-star Michelin in a very small kitchen with, uh, you know, a very family a team as a, that we treat as a family. And we arrive there very slow. We grow very slow. I believe in growing slow as a tree, you know. Uh, I, I always remember, you know, my father-in-law... Mrs. Mr. Gilmore, you know, she, he was always saying, you know, grow slow like a tree with big roots. If the first storm, you don't wash away. That's the point, you know. When you grow slow and you arrive at, at there, 
you know, you're mature and you know how to act, you know, you feel comfortable in every situation, you know. Mm. It's a good um, place to stop with being at slow food and growing slow and making really yeah. great, thoughtful decisions yeah, about everything a, that we do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, Massimo, thank you so much for joining us thank and talking you. to us about thank you all very the much. events you're thank doing. Thank you to invite me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, we will be right back with more interviews at Slow Food Nations. Uh, please stay tuned. And thanks again to our sponsors, Hearst Ranch Beef, the Julia Child Foundation, and our friend Julie Schaefer. Thank you. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.